Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Are China-U.S. relations headed for a long, freezing winter with no icebreaker in sight? What was the ballast of ties between the world's top two economies in 2022? How would that shape the world in 2023 and beyond? Welcome to part one of a special year-end edition of The Point with me, Li Xin, coming to you from Beijing. We'll take a look back at altogether seven important moments in diplomacy between Beijing and Washington to better understand the story. Some are more encouraging, others far less so. I will ask my guests what they think of US-China engagement in the past year, but I will keep the last question open. I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing by Zun Ahmed Khan, journalist and research fellow with the Center of China and Globalization Think Tank, from Berlin, Germany, by Professor Huang Jing, university professor and director of the Institute of the US and Pacific Studies at the Shanghai International Studies University. Also, Richard von Weizsäcker Fellow at uh, Robert Bosch Academy and Dr. Li Cheng, director of the John L. Thornton China Center and senior fellow of the foreign policy program with Brookings Institution. The warmest welcome to all of you to the point. Uh, I would like to start um, with the first event that caught our attention between China and the United States, which is the marking of the 50th anniversary of former U.S. President uh, Nixon's visit to China as 2022 marked the 50th anniversary of that occasion. That visit took place in February 1972, and it resulted in the joint Shanghai communique that became the political foundation of diplomatic ties between China and the United States. Earlier this year, I spoke to Stephen Orleans, president of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, about that occasion. Let's listen in first. What was so amazing about the Shanghai communique, as I went back and read it over the last few days again, is it starts off at saying, we have different social systems and foreign policy. We don't agree on all this, but we believe it's in the interests of world peace to have these breakthroughs. And then they laid out the basis on which they can go forward and they established liaison offices in each other's capital. Today, that's it. Oh, that was ordinary. It wasn't ordinary. It was truly brave, truly extraordinary. So what I hope today as our relationship has such difficulty is leaders on both sides can look over the horizon and say, we're going to disagree on our political systems. We're going to disagree on foreign policy. But the importance of confronting our common challenges outweigh those disagreements, and we need to find a way to work together. Zoon, let me go to you first. Mm. Uh, it's almost like a godsend that, uh, you know, the year 2022 started with this very important moment mm. to recall what happened 50 years ago. What was the lesson that you think that visit taught us and that is of particular significance today? I think, uh, first of all, Lucian, thank you so much for having me on this program. I mean, especially when we are looking at a year 2022, which has been absolutely decisive, uh, in some ways divisive, and also significant for China, US, and the global South at large. So the interesting thing is, I mean, as a Pakistani, we also really talk about that visit. 
Pakistan was an ally of the US and also right. we had a good relationship with China yeah. and for many countries, developing countries, uh, especially, you know, it was an important development. It was a development that, you know, would would bring uh, a major country, China, uh, which a lot of global South countries had strong sympathies with, strong relatability with, within, you know, a fold of greater, I wouldn't say acceptability, but broader opportunities. So that said, I mean, I think my professor Huang and Professor Chung, maybe they can highlight more on the bilateral level. But my view is that, of course, uh, 50 years ago, when this happened, this development, I don't think it was anything but a very pragmatic move on part of the U.S., given at that time the complications within Asia. There was obviously a bigger threat at that time to U.S. Uh, interests globally. And at that time, it was a very pragmatic, practical decision to, you know, warm ties with China. And that led to immense opportunities for countries at large. But we do realize that even though ideological differences were set aside, there was a hope in Washington that China, when they economically liberalize, eventually they will also politically follow the same path as the US did. And that was obvious during Bill Clinton's own speeches in 2000 and 2001 when China was entering the WTO as well. So I think, long story short, I think that of course, um, ideological differences can be bridged. Uh, we are living in a world where increasing number of countries are talking about the fact that different governance systems suit different uh, histories, different uh, circumstances. But at the same time, it's also important to see that we are in a better position to not follow the same trajectory as Western countries. And I think uh, the fact that this was possible at a time of relative, you know, caution in Washington to put those differences aside and say, let's work on our commonalities. Let's accept uh, that we have differences and let's move forward on mutually uh, beneficial path forward. Mm. I think that mindset is possible again. That is your opinion. Professor Huang, mm. is it still possible? It seems that leaders today are less pragmatic and the ideological differences seems to stand larger, looms larger between China and the United States. Mm. Is that observation correct? Uh, yes, I do not believe that U.S.-China relationship will take a turn for good in the short term. I'm not very optimistic. When President Nixon visited China in 1972, there are three conditions there, but none of them existed today. Number one, there is very strong Soviet Union, which seems to take an upper hand in international affairs in early 1970s. And number two, China is so much weaker than the United States. China would not form any kind of threat economically, politically, and militarily towards the United States. And number three, China is still isolated at that time. The majority of the country in this global village uh, mm. did not recognize China. But nowadays, none of those three conditions still exist. Number one, there's no stronger or strong common enemy. The Soviet Union has long disintegrated. And number two, China is number two, is so much stronger, almost, almost equally strong as the United States, makes United States feel threatened economically, politically, and militarily. And last but not the least, China is one of the countries which deeply, deeply integrated with our international system. And ironically, this international system is also the one that where the United States power is rooted in. So that makes the whole situation even more uh, complicated. In that case, given the great uncertainty of US politics today, 
I do not believe that the relationship could uh, improve uh, in the near future. Dr. Lee, what is your take? Is that the rosy good old days that we can never get back? Or is there still something to be taken from those days and to whichever extent you can to be used for what people can do today? Because we have to. Well, it largely depends on how the events uh, next year and, uh, and the future to unfold. Uh, but first of all, I wanted to convey uh, my warm New Year uh, greetings to you and Liu Xing and to other panelists and to your audience in China and around the world. It has been a challenging and very tough year for many of us. Now, as we are all keenly aware, we live in perplexing and roaring times. Some parts of the world are experiencing bloody wars and horrific famines. Most continents are confronting serious economic slowdown and uh, stock inequalities. And the whole globe is going through the COVID pandemic and the climate crisis. Uh, Xing, you know, pandemic, war, and famines, these most uh, terrible things in human history are always the earth we live today. Now, but at the same time, we also have something to be cheerful in this uh, memorable year. For China, the very impressive Beijing Winter Olympics and the Paralympics, and also the millions of fans for the recently held Soccer World Cup. I mean, these international gatherings reflect the uplifting spirit for cross-cultural respect and for our shared global destiny. Mm. We are certainly looking forward to the final arrival of the post-COVID era next year. Now, for your question, I think that Steve Oren was right when we look back to what Nixon and Kissinger did 50 years ago cultural, education, economic, diplomatic exchanges between two countries with profoundly different ideologies and the political systems can promote mutual understanding and goodwill and diffusing global norms and therefore reduce the likelihood of military conflict. Now, of course, that uh, I share uh, Wang Jing's um, you know, sentiment that we live in a different world, that the previous foundations are gone. Right. The Biden administration is known for its uh, coalition building geopolitics and value-based block. The different, uh, the different standards that the US and China have taken on uh, Russian-Ukraine war and expanding rhetoric about democracy versus authoritarianism uh, in the Western, uh, mainly in the Western countries have reinforced Washington's uh, perception of global bifurcation. So that certainly is a challenge that, uh, that uh, we, we need to deal with. You mentioned the Ukraine war. Let's go straight to the second moment, which is really perhaps the most um, consequential moment of the past year in almost every sense, which is the the war in Ukraine, which broke out in February. And I had the opportunity to have an exclusive interview with former Belarusian Foreign Minister Vladimir uh, Markey that was conducted early March. He was announced, unfortunately, to have died suddenly in November, but he predicted the disastrous consequences of stepped-up Western sanctions on Russia and Belarus. They claim to support the sovereignty and independence of Belarus, 
But in fact, all these sanctions are aimed at completely undermining the sovereignty and independence of Belarus and shaking the state system of Belarus. Therefore, we absolutely cannot accept them. We will naturally respond to these sanctions against Belarus. These sanctions are totally illegal. These sanctions are not endorsed by the Charter of the United Nations or based on any other international agreements. How will things develop? You can imagine what will happen next. As I said, the least bit of rationality has been completely abandoned. What will be the impact on the world economy and the economy of individual countries? We have already seen fuel and energy prices rise in some countries. So let me go back to Zoom. Keep mm. it very short, please. Um, okay. He was right. I mean, in mm. March, he was already predicting the energy mm. and the economic crisis that uh, countries would face. How big of a factor was it on China-U.S. relations in your understanding? Okay, so I think firstly, I'll very quickly clarify that I am on the same page with Professor Chang and Professor Huang that we cannot see this ideological gap. I mean, we're in a very different world. Uh, today, China poses a different kind of challenge to U.S. dominance in the world. But what I do believe is that we are living in a world where regions like Europe, uh, East Asia, I mean, different parts of the world, consider that we need to coexist despite our differences. That said, I think the Russia-Ukraine war was decisive in pushing European bloc closer to the United States in making at this time, uh, President Biden, admi his administration's quest to work with uh, allies, to strengthen alliances with traditional partners, and to really, I mean, escalate this concept of, you know, we need to stick together in order to fight against the authoritarian threat that is escalating globally. All right. What happened um, as a consequence, yeah. in my humble view, uh, okay. is that they were able to, I mean, despite the fact that China's position right now is one that is shared by a predominant number of the world's countries, they say de-escalate. And also we have seen other wars recently. I mean, this is not the, of course, the consequences are All much right. broader. I'm going to interrupt them. I'm going yeah. to ask for Professor Huang and Dr. Li's view. What do you see as the impact, especially the long-term impact of this war in bilateral ties? Professor Huang, of course, this war, first and foremost, will weaken Russia further. And that's, uh, I think everybody would agree with that. But on the other hand, it also will weaken the United States and its allies. I would think that I've been here for a while. I think that the gap between Europe countries, especially Western European countries and United States, just began to be exposed. Because first, nobody knows what this war is about. After the article published by President Biden on May 31st on New York Times, and uh, European leaders are very confused because according to the four red lines, you know, lined out by President Biden, European leader would ask what we're fighting for if we are not going to defeat Russia and we're not going to end this war, we just keep fighting and who's going to support us first. And second for China, China also in a very difficult situation. This war confirmed that Russia as a global power is because Russia has a massive capacity of destruction. But China is trying to project the image of contributor and the builder to the international world. In other words, China tried to contribute to a global village, but Russia now has proved to all of everyone that it, has a it is a destructive power. But last but not the least, China's difficult situation because 
United States until this day still making China the most consequential challenges to United States and US-led international order. So if this is still there, it will be very difficult for China to kind of do something positively to end this war, even though first China is, has nothing to do with the making of the war and China is not part of the war, but mm. China does want to be part of a solution if right. the conditions are right, but now the conditions are not right. What if China helped the United States and the allies to end this war and United States and Europe will take the momentum, take on China. Of course, that makes China very difficult. Yeah, Dr. Li, yeah, you, your view on the well, impact of the war on bilateral ties between China and the United States. Well, the impact is not only uh, the end of the post-Cold uh, uh, War international order, the complete collapse of that order, but also uh, uh, highly likely that uh, means the end of uh, uh, economic realization that uh, we um, have seen in the past uh, half century. So that's the stake. It's a huge, uh, certainly- You mean that, the economic uh, liberalization? Yeah, economic liberalization come to end. Uh, the, the, you do see that uh, bifurcation or polarization start to emerge. You see that uh, uh, even without that event, the economic liberalization faced some challenges because growing inequalities within country and between countries become really out of control. Uh, but the Ukraine war certainly uh, accelerated that process. Now, uh, uh, this is uh, uh, the issue certainly is beyond the U.S.-China relations. Now, China agrees that China did not benefit from the uh, Russian-Ukraine war. And uh, China has a good relationship with, with Ukraine, I mean, as we all know. But of course, for China's own positions, it, it does not want to condemn Russia. And also, China does not believe economic sanction. Yet, I also noticed that China has some uh, recent shift uh, for the previous rhetoric about uh, off-limits, no forbidden zone, at least the uh, ambassador to U.S. Qing Gang said very clearly China has a bottom line, and the uh, bottom line is the United Nations uh, charter and etc. So also uh, it's welcome uh, to see that China does not sell weapons uh, to Russia. But I hope that China will do more because the stake is so high, there's a, a threat of a um, imminent threat of a nuclear in the war. Right. And also that uh, I certainly think uh, Wang Jing made a good point that uh, China is hesitant and also certainly from China's interest, uh, despite uh, China's uh, suffer from that, uh, that war economically and also could be strategically. But China does not want to see Russia to be completely, to, uh, to be fatally defeated by NATO because if that's the case, based on current rhetoric uh, in the United States, China will be the next target. So that explains China's hesitance. I think that for the Western world, we do need to understand China's position. But for China, I think that certainly should play a more active role in terms of uh, peace negotiation and also give pressure on Russia uh, about uh, on various grounds. Dunhuang, situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. 
why we love Dunhuang? You will have your answers. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is the point. We do have to keep in mind, and I think um, the former Belarusian foreign minister made a good point that the sanctions, unilateral sanctions, although they are taken by several countries, Western countries in particular, they are not uh, endorsed or authorized by the United Nations. So let us not confuse the sanctions, unilateral sanctions confirmed by Western countries, a, hand, a handful of Western countries, and sanctions that are endorsed under international law but we let's move on let's move on we don't have that much time i think the next moment i we chose uh, that i believe is uh, of uh, particular significance to bilateral ties is the blinken speech at the george washington university on this administration's approach to the prc which was given in may where he called china the most serious long-term challenge to international order i'm going to go to professor huang jing how significant is that moment is there a biden doctrine emerging from that speech or a blinken doctrine emerging from that speech I think it's too early to tell it's a Biden doctrine or Blinken doctrine, but it does have some changes of subtle but significant. Number one, we remember that when Blinken gave the first speech, he defined the US-China relations with three C's, uh, competition, cooperation, and conflict. But right. in the main speech, conflict disappeared. So only competition and possible cooperation, that's first. Second is emphasize the investment in the United States to kind of outcompete China. In other words, that's an indirect recognition that the United States needs to be fixed. That is the huge problem, huge problems in the United States, economically, politically, and so on and so forth. So invest. And third one is, is that it emphasized the strengths or importance of alliances and to, to you know to so that it can work together on China. And uh, I think the most important part in that part is that it emphasizes on value-based alliance system. I think it's a double-edged sword. It can be successful, but in my view, it will be very unsuccessful. Just take example. In United Nations, 141 countries condemn Russia for the war in Ukraine, but only 40 countries, all of them developed countries with so-called the same value, join the sanction. And the other, the entire global south, did not join it. That tells how dangerous it could, could be if the United States emphasize on value-based alliances, because like I said, you're going to sanction yourself out. If yeah. 10 sanctions against one, seven against three is fine. Now the four against six, and the value is the same. It is self-isolated approach in my view. I want to get a Dr. Lee's take on this because this is an important moment. And do you also notice that the word conflict was taken out of it? Does it mean that the United States is taking a more rational approach to bilateral ties or not really? Well, I will not read that too much. And uh, I think certainly there's some adjustment, important adjustment. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of uh, technological decoupling and in terms of security issues that uh, certainly um, even administration um, will not abandon the possibility of the conflict. But we do need to understand that from Trump to Biden and the two parties, two different presidents, we do see some continuity, although also there's some differences. 
But the, the, this reflects the American sentiment about the, regarding uh, China. I think this is related with the structure problem rather than the one administration or one president. And the structure problem refers to two things. One is uh, um, there has been a geopolitical and economic power shift. From U.S. perspective, we never uh, experienced this kind of challenge or rivalry such as China, which really constitute a challenge economically, technologically, and militarily. I mean, Soviet Union during the Cold War, it's uh, different. It's uh, largely military and uh, maybe only uh, select the technological area, but not economically, but China is a comprehensive, this is uh, one thing. So therefore, our peer institution around the cooperation had a report last year. They said they claim that the competition is risky, but do not do so even riskier. So that reflects American sentiment. The second structure problem is related with American domestic politics. Both parties are so divided. And also we see that the American democracy experienced the crisis January 6th, and, and uh, the partisan politics is so dis- divisive, uh, and uh, with along many other problems, economic disparity, racial tensions, cultural war going on. Now, if America is in good shape, we, are not, uh, we do not care that much about the China's different political system and economic model. This is related with the early statement 50 years ago, because America was in uh, much better shape. But now we face some challenges. So therefore, China's different political system and economic structure and the economic model become even more sensitive. So we do need to understand. Uh, it does not mean that I think that the U.S.-China relation, like uh, some scholars, my colleague in both China and United States said, three falls. I will see it's a mutual reinforced spirals. But if it's a spiral, there's some bounds, there's some adjustment. I think the next year with uh, Blinken's visit to, to China in uh, January before probably China's Spring Festival, I think it is a great opportunity. And that's the end of part one of our special yen series on China-U.S. relations in 2022. Altogether, we talk about seven important moments in bilateral ties. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lixin in Beijing. You've got the point. Hi, this is Niu Niu. And yes, Old Wisdom New Insights is back with a brand new season. Just check out the historical figures we've selected for you. There's the top KOL in Song Dynasty, a real celebrity influencer. If I write an article about a place, it will become a tourist destination and stay popular for centuries. There's the man who was so weird but so talented that almost all the famous celebrities of his time were both offended and impressed by him at the same time. To be liked or disliked, That was never the question for me. I was not really popular among my peers, but I was too occupied with my dream to even realize that. There's the successful novelist who changed his career path in his 60s and did a really good job. I say, it's never too old to follow your dream. 60 is just my 30. Now, do you know who I'm talking about? If not, don't you worry. That's what the show is all about. Join me to find out with more old wisdom, new insights with a modern twist. <laughs>